road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Welcome back to the Drive Podcast Headed north towards Stillwater Another another day notched in the journey that is graduate school. So that journey's about to come to an end, thankfully, and and unthankfully. I've enjoy, I've enjoyed what I've done. I haven't had um, you know every day hasn't been a brilliant day, but I have I have no regrets about taking the step forward and doing something totally different, challenging myself in a way that I had never imagined myself being challenged. And that leads into today's conversation about gamification. I've mentioned it before, kind of how you can get into gamification in your classroom and and what you can do. Some things that are out there for teachers that are just looking to get started with it. If you're teaching the elementary school, uh, first, second, third, fourth grades, there's Class Dojo. It's an excellent classroom management points system that kind of gamifies the whole classroom, allows you to give points to, to students for uh, performing correctly uh, or answering a question or uh, having good classroom behavior. It allows you to deduct points if they do something they shouldn't, like talk out of turn or, um, you know, some, basically some of those some of those other little things that can happen in the elementary classroom where one kid can derail an ent- all those kiddos with one action. And so Class Dojo gives you a way to do that, gives you a way to communicate with parents, how their, how their student is doing, and, and basically the overall climate of what your classroom is like. And you can set those things up to do different, um, different fun things. So my daughter today in Class Dojo has earned the opportunity to take a drink to school and have it on her desk. So, uh, so she really wants to take a Gatorade to school and put the Gatorade on her desk so that all of her little friends can see that she has a Gatorade and that she's earned enough dojo points to be able to do this. Uh, last year, my daughter, my other daughter in, uh, with, through Class Dojo had earned the right to uh, not wear shoes in the classroom that day. And so she, she with great fanfare, came up and, and announced which shoes she was wearing to school that she would not be wearing while she was at school inside the classroom, and she was so excited about that. And and so Class Dojo then helps you know helps kind of alter some behaviors and give students some goals to shoot for, and and that's gamification. Uh, the other thing is, if you teach in a in an older grade, uh, check out Classcraft. Uh, it's a really neat, fun way to let students develop their own avatar uh, and username, fun, fun screen name, and and that's part of. One of the things that, that can make gamification interesting is you can assume an identity and, and do things uh, within that identity that maybe you always kind of wanted to do and take risks that you maybe normally wouldn't take because I, Scott Hazelwood, don't take those kind of risks. But, but uh, you know, if I assume my identity of, um, you know, the doctor, those might be risks that I would be willing to consider because I have a different name, I have a fun avatar, and a blue TARDIS. So uh, gamification inside of Classcraft then is fun and, and it creates a system where uh, people work together uh, or not. And, and inside that system, the teacher can generate different fun things that can occur during the day. One of the uh, items that can randomly appear is that you t- talk like a pirate all day long. And, and now that introduces an element of play in the classroom and makes the classroom fun. 
And that can be a challenge because for teachers sometimes, you know, for us, teaching is, is a passion. Uh, we do it. We want our students to learn. Uh, we want them to get better. We want them to improve. We want them to be able to perform on some of the high stakes uh, testing that's occurring. And we want to make sure they're as prepared as possible. And often what happens is fun slides to the back of the line and play is right there with it. So fun and play have, have no place sometimes in our classrooms. And and I, I was like that too for a long time. I, I, I wanted my kids to have fun. I wanted them to play, but just not during class. We had too much going on. And by the time I was moving towards graduate school, I was having a shift in my thinking towards, hey, we need to experiment a little bit with play. We need to experiment a little bit with um, having fun in the classroom and, and see what happens. My experience with gamification uh, it, it, it was slow in coming and, and so I, it took me several years to get it to a point where I felt comfortable uh, implementing it in the classroom and the my first exposure to gamification was with uh, the, at the ISTE conference several years ago in in San Antonio I was able to see Jane McGonigal speak on games in general and it just got my brain really going and, and I can actually trace uh, my, my journey to graduate school from, from that keynote, seeing her talk, and she spoke for almost an hour probably, and she was fascinating, and I uh, bought her book that same day, um, the one of, about um, Reality is Broken, Why Games Can Save the World, and, and it's been very interesting to read, and, and she's resourced it out very well so that you can go through that book, and you can read different things, and you can find the references for those uh, items that she shares with you and it's really interesting she's got three different TED talks I've seen them all multiple times and her her whole uh, thing is 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 games can be very motivational uh, and they can be motivational in changing behaviors so one thing I would encourage you to do is she gave a TED talk on on a game that she created uh, one time when she had um, fallen or or, or something had happened and she had received a concussion and she just could not get better. She couldn't shake the symptoms. She was, was depressed and, and her health was not good. And so what she did was she, she created a game called, called Super Better and it actually uh, helped her get through her concussion symptoms. It helped her improve her health and, and it developed into a book. And now I have not read Super Better, but I've heard the TED Talk several times. And it's fascinating how she created this game at basically out of nothing at all. And, and so think about your classroom today and what goes on. What happens when we play games? What, what, what elements of play and fun can you introduce in a classroom? And, and if you go to an elementary classroom, especially kindergarten, first grade, there's all kinds of, of play that's occurring and fun and exploration. Students are allowed to fail without serious repercussion. They're allowed to experiment. They're allowed to try things. But as we get older, a lot of those elements that make our classrooms so fun and vibrant in kindergarten, first, second grade are gone by the time we get to high school. Uh, taking risk is, is, is very difficult because if you fail, then, then there's a negative grade that is uh, going to be associated with that failure. And students are driven, some students are driven to be a valedictorian or a salutatorian or to be in the honor society or, or uh, are in different things and they just cannot, cannot, cannot take a low or failing grade because they took a risk in their learning process. 
So what gamification can do is it can build into your classroom a culture where risk is acceptable. And so think about that for just a little while. What kind of risk would you be willing to allow in the classroom with your students? And that's a hard question to answer. How, how can we develop that risk? You walk into uh, the kindergarten classroom and you see those kids playing at centers they're stacking up the blocks and watching them fall and trying to figure out how to stack those blocks again or they're working on their colors and, and they're getting it wrong and, and with correction from uh, the teacher or teaching assistant or another adult, they're able to learn and get those things right. They're exploring their world all the time. So how can, how can we do that in, with the older grades? What kind of risk will we be willing to allow some of our older students to take on as part of their learning process? What about a glorious failure? Is there something that we could do where the kids have done taken a risk and had a glorious failure, but they're not punished for that? Because in the process of that glorious failure, quite likely they are learning the thing that you want them to learn. So consider allowing some risk to develop in your classroom in some form. Safe risk, it's, it's, I would much rather have my students fail with me inside the safety of my classroom than fail in the real world when it really matters and, and something is on the line. And I know that uh, I teach future teachers and, and they're in college and they have a goal of being uh, a teacher one day and, and they are learning how to teach and they're learning the pedagogy and they're learning classroom management and they're learning foundational information for their particular subject area and curriculum structure and all of this but some of them haven't written lesson plans yet some of them have no uh, experience in the field of just observing teachers they just know teaching from what they experience to students and I want my students to, as they teach in my class, I want them to fail, I want them to struggle, I want them to have a hard time, and, and I don't necessarily penalize them for that. I want them to take a risk and be brave, and I want them to try something they've never tried before, and I want them to not know an answer to a question, because I want them to, to understand what it is as teachers that we can do to foster a strong learning environment with our students. Think about the light bulb for a second. We wouldn't have the light bulb right now if Thomas Edison hadn't failed somewhere along the way, you know, a thousand times. But it just took that thousand and first time to get it right. And I'm sure he was frustrated by failure, but he never stopped. And so along, along with failure and gamification and, and all of this, consider creating a situation in your class where the coursework is not super, super, super difficult, but not super easy either. But it's it's just difficult enough that students want to do it and want to learn more and uh, aren't, aren't necessarily bothered by a failure, but are willing to accept that failure as part of the learning process in order to get the correct answer on the next try or the next try or the next try. For example, one of the games that I, I really love to play uh, in my free time is Skyrim. And I haven't had a lot of free time to play a lot of Skyrim. But there's different there's different questing that I can do there. And I can follow the main storyline or I can go off on side quests or whatever. And some of those quests are quite difficult. And, and there have been times when I, I can't quite accomplish the goals of a specific quest. And so I'll keep trying, I'll keep trying, I'll keep trying, I'll try something different, I'll think about the actions I've taken, 
and I will modify those actions or try a different way. Sometimes I'll just run into a situation to get an idea of where bad guys are. And, and what I'm doing is I'm, I'm failing in a way that I learn from, but also I, I know that if I just kind of keep working at this one particular quest, I will accomplish the goals of that quest. So I don't give up. It's just hard enough for me to not blaze through it, but it's not so difficult that I just throw my hands in the air and say, forget it. So think about that for your classroom. What can you do for your students that allows them to to see something as just hard enough to keep working on, but not so easy that it's not, it's not worth their time, it's just too easy. And I think that's a difficult balance to find because when we look at teachers and some of the bad habits we have as teachers, and we all have habits that we can change, you know, are we given this assignment because it's busy work? And if we are given this assignment because it's busy work, it's quite often an easy assignment. And if it's an easy assignment, is it worth the time of the kids to work on it? That's the question we have to ask. Or is that an assignment too difficult? Like we were mad at the, at this, at the students, here's a blanket assignment, it's so hard we know only the Jedi kids are gonna be able to manage it. And, and there's that situation. We've all been there and we've all done that. And so let's just own that and then think about in our daily practice with our kids, can we make that assignment, that work, that task just hard enough that they don't succeed the first time but after a try or two are able to get over the hump. What can happen if you can create that balance of difficult to easy? What can happen is students get into what um, uh, a psychologist called, his name is Csikszentmihalyi. Uh, he, he talked about flow and it's just where you're in, you're, you're in a zone and, and you're able to advance through and work through some of these difficulties and be persistent enough with the failures that you overcome them and, and all the while while you're in this state of flow, you're learning and improving. Uh, think of it uh, you know, with professional sports. You know, when we say an athlete is in the zone, it's often a similar state to flow. And, and what's happening is, you know, that believe it or not, that athlete is being forced a bit outside of their comfort zone in order to uh, uh, do these amazing things that are in the zone. Um, you know, to take LeBron James, he doesn't score 70 points every night, but that one night he is in the zone, he's in flow, and he does score 70. We recognize that and we call that a tremendous achievement. So are there ways that students can get out of their comfort zone, you included as the teacher, and inside your classroom dynamics, develop a way that students can work towards getting in their zone, to get outside of their comfort zone and start building towards flow. And then and, and that also comes into uh, with motivation and there's intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. And motivation is important with games because you don't play a game if you're not motivated to do it. So I coached soccer for a long time, and I loved I loved coaching soccer. Um, and my my students, my players, were motivated to win, and they worked very hard to do that. And most of my players didn't need a lot of push from me to have that inner motivation. Uh, that would be an in extrinsic motivation. So if I'm pushing my students to get better, and I'm the one providing the the hook. Um, if I'm the one that's putting the carrot and the stick out there, that's extrinsic motivation. The intrinsic is just the internal desire for the students uh, that the student has to want to be successful. And most of the players that I coached had a strong internal intrinsic motivation. There's always some extrinsic motivation involved in, in coaching because sometimes kids and, and sometimes coaches are, just, are we're tired of talking at each other and, and 
we all need to find that motivation to try and do better and, and be better and be stronger. So think about that in your classroom. What motivation can you, as the teacher, provide extrinsically that can help the students find an intrinsic need to keep working hard and go above and beyond and do more, be more, and learn more? And so one of those things that, that I help, that, that, that I did with my kids that I think helped a little bit in I've seen in research is out there is a reward system for your students and it, it could you know you could go back to basic behaviorism uh, you know from this from the 70s and the token system and, and things like that but it can also be a lot more dynamic than that uh, I know that a lot of elementary teachers have some sort of ticket system for students and and when students do uh, some task or complete something or behave in a certain way they get that ticket and then they can use that ticket at the end of the week or every couple of weeks to purchase things inside the classroom so my daughters have you know used their tickets to get a piece of candy or to get a pencil or an eraser that they really like so think about ways that you could do that with your students but not necessarily ways that that would be you know an item in their hand but maybe something they could use as part of your class structure so could students perhaps earn enough points or tickets to be able to ask you a question on a test? Or could they, instead of giving them the homework pass on the first day of school, could you offer a homework pass for the students for X number of points uh, earned in class? Or could you give them the opportunity you know, if you're in middle school, to go to the bathroom, they can earn a bathroom pass or a water pass, something like that. And what happens is, you know, you're giving the extrinsic motivation, hey, you earn 50 points in class, you can have this particular thing, but now the kids work intrinsically because they want to earn that thing. You've given them something that they can touch, that they want to have, and they can work towards earning it. And so that's the intrinsic motivation part. And both of those things can work together where the teacher can provide uh, a little bit of a push and then the student takes over. Other rewards that are really cool uh, are found inside of your learning management system that you're going to use in your class. If you use Google Classroom or Edmodo or Schoology or any one of those things, they have a badging system in there. And I have never seen students go more crazy for badges than high school students. In fact, I just had a random badge one time. High school kids, they, they say the darndest things sometimes. And sometimes they're very clever. And sometimes they're so clever, it's hilarious. And we all have a laugh. And so what well, I created a badge called the quote of the day and it had SpongeBob on it. Kids wanted that. And, and, and every now and then to the point of distraction in the classroom, we would award, I would award that badge of quote of the day to a student. But there were times too when I would say, all right, we've, you know, I can't, I can only give it twice. It's happened. We're done. But what else could you do with that badge? Kids love to get those things and see them. And, and maybe if you're in an elementary school and your students don't necessarily have a, a classroom management system where they log in and see, maybe, you know, like my daughters have their name at the top of their desk with um, the letters and numbers and all of that. So what if those, you know, you teachers of younger students, what if you had a badge system that you could create a badge that they could add to their name tag on their desk. And the thing with badges is it's a way for students to kind of talk about, look what I did, look what I found, I've got this badge, and it provides other students motivation to try and earn that badge. And so again, it's not necessarily something that you're saying, hey, we need to do this, 
but it's something where you've rewarded a student for completing a specific set of tasks. They get this badge for doing that. They can tape it on their desk, and now other students see that, and it becomes kind of a form of status. It becomes something to talk about. If I look at my neighbor's desk, and she's got the ABC badge, and I don't, then, then maybe I'll work harder to earn the ABC badge. And so those are just different ways that you can hook gamification into your class and kind of some thinking behind why gamification works. As always, thank you for all that you do for our students. You are amazing people. And don't forget uh, that you're impacting their lives every day, whether you realize it or not. Stay brilliant. I can't wait to